G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the stories of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, but the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. So come along the journey. In this episode, we're continuing our deep, wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Angel, Jason Calacanis. Jason looks ahead on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals, they invest in them too. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com/slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by User Testing. With user testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash twista for a free trial. User testing, real human insight. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com slash twista. Welcome back to the second part of our interview with the patron saint of this podcast, Mr. Angel, Jason Calacanis. Welcome back, Jason. Uh, you are such a great broadcaster, so effortless in your intros and outros. I aspire <laughs> to hit those notes. <laughs> I'm working on it. So, Jason, I want to talk about the way startup land looks now coming out of the pandemic, because we spent the last episode sort of talking about all of the changes. But the day before we recorded this interview, HP announced one of its largest acquisitions. It just bought Poly, which is, you know, the company that owns Plantronics. Plantronics, I only learned this because I was reading the news about this. Plantronics used, sold the headset that Neil Armstrong used on the moon, right? Wow. You want to talk remote working? There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good, actually. Nice one. And so HP is now saying, look at all of the things that we need, the physical infrastructure that we need, whether that's video conferencing equipment or headsets or all of that to work from home, they are making a bet that that is a 10% per year growth market for them into this decade. What is that telling us about the kind of startups that we can start to see? Will there be startups? Are there startups popping up now that will be helping us with this huge transition in how we work? 100% there will be. I think, you know, if you look at what happened in cloud computing, and then you imagine 
all of those services and atomization of services happening to the stack of building a company, that will be what happens. So you're going to plug in your accounting, plug in your legal, plug in office space if you need it with, you know, WeWork being ahead of their time, even though it was a complete disaster. They obviously um, figured something out there. And then Teams are going to rapidly assemble and disassemble like Marvel super teams. You know, it's like you'll have people go from the Avengers to the X-Men to the Defenders. I don't know if you remember in the comic book days, you know, all of a sudden the Wolverine would be on the Defenders and now he's on the X-Men. And, you know, you're going to see that kind of flightiness. When you and I were coming up in the industry, the idea that you would be at a company for less than four years would be suicide for your career. Now we're getting used to the concept of, hey, somebody could come work at your company for 18 months, make an incredible contribution, go write a book and come back. And that's okay. And it really requires people to be clear in their definitions of the work they need. And so this real, and this was like sort of the downside slash upside of this new world. Because you don't have a culture, because people do not have their friendships at work to the extent they used to, uh, you will see somebody leave a company and they own their laptop and they log out of the Slack instance. And then they log into a new Slack instance. They log out of, you know, Google Docs and they log into a new Google Docs. They log out of, you know, Notion, log into a new one. And in 90 seconds, <laughs> they are using the same exact setup to do work for another boss. And in a way that's beautiful, in a way, something's lost. And, and the thing I think that's super lost that I'm really going to start working on is mentorship. Mm. And there's only so much we can do here on Zoom or, you know, video conferencing or, you know, in Slack to mentor somebody. So I am now doing professional development uh, days where I'm going to be bringing my teams together, you know, send everybody to Miami for four or five days, send everybody to Austin, maybe take them skiing. And I'm just thinking about what can I do to really help them develop professionally? And you saw what I did when I brought my teams to Australia for a launch festival those two years. I take everybody scuba diving. I take them to the Sundays. Just really great things that they'll remember that are on their bucket list and that also advance their career. So I'm really thinking about that concept. When you look at startups, they used to meet, they used to come to Silicon Valley. They go up and down Santo Road. They would book five to 10 meetings over two or three days. And then they would try to get a term sheet to make a decision. Now what we're seeing is the loom zoom room is what I call it. They send a loom. Hey, J Cal, I'm going to walk you through my deck. Uh, you don't know me. I'm a big fan of the pod. Let me tell you about this new startup I'm doing. Okay, here's slide one. Let me take you to the product demo. And I'm like, okay, a loom for people who don't know is a little piece of software that lets you record yourself and put a little circle size video as you walk somebody through a deck or a document. And you can do picture to picture like that with many pieces of software. But it rhymes with Zoom, which is after you read the Loom, watch the Loom, you're like, hey, let's get on a Zoom. They don't want to be on a Zoom for an hour. They want to be on a Zoom for 15 minutes. Are you interested? Are you in? Are you out? Let me know. What's the next step? How much money would you invest? And here are the documents. Here's the due diligence room. Let's keep this train moving. If not, I totally understand. I'll see you the next time I go out to fundraise. And then after you close the deal, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have dinner. After you send the check, the wire, yeah, if I'm in your town, we'll go into the room and ha share a meal, whether that's a restaurant or not. And that has made a level of efficiency I've never seen before. We have been doubling. I think we went 5x from 2020 to 2021, and we'll double this year, 2021 to 2022, in dollars deployed via the syndicate and our funds. Why? 
we're meeting with many more companies. If we meet with five companies in the time it used to take to meet one, well, guess what happens? We meet more great companies that we want to invest in. And for the founders, they meet the investors who actually want to invest in their company. So now founders are regularly doing 100, 150 meetings over Zoom to find their three or four investors. Where in the old days, it used to be 30, 40, maybe 20, 30, 40 in-person meetings, they could close a deal. So this massive efficiency has led to investor, capital allocator, founder fit. And it has accelerated it. And it's just wonderful. And I think that's why you're seeing more funding. It's not that people are funding bad companies. It's that they're finding the ones that they can help and that, that are a match for them. So it's kind of like speed dating on a global basis. You actually, it's funny because you set up the next question I had perfectly because there's been a lot of talk about whether Silicon Valley still has its place at the center of this universe. We hear a lot about Austin and Miami, both cities you just name-checked. New York Times said Toronto is the new shiny place. They said that this week in an article. Has the pandemic, even leading into it, but has there been a decentering away from Silicon Valley? You know, if you read the LA Times, it says no. If you read Verge, it says maybe yes. What's really going on? You're in the middle of this. What do you see? I mean, if, if now yeah. companies can be anywhere and raise from anywhere and get to investors everywhere, which used to be the reason you'd go to Sand Hill Road and spend three days visiting them. What does that mean? Yeah, it's over. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's over as a, you know, having a lock on innovation. It used to, people used to believe that to build a company of a Google, you know, Facebook scale, you had to do it in this area because of the density of talent. Because then the talent has been distributed, um, no in, an investor wants you to uh, actually base yourself in Silicon Valley. Because it got so overheated and things got so expensive, there was an almost toxicity or anxiety where people had to spend an extra thirty or forty thousand per employee because it was just so expensive. You know, one bedroom being four thousand dollars, a two bedroom being six thousand dollars. It was too expensive, and um, it was it was getting toxic in that a firefighter or a teacher couldn't live within an hour or two of, or a nanny couldn't live within an hour of their uh, customers and their clients and the people they worked for. So this created this really gnarly situation here where it became very classist and ugly. So it's now cooling off. The prices haven't come down that much, but at least people can live other places. So Miami, Austin, Toronto, New York, everywhere is the beneficiary of it. And it's better for everybody. So again, like we talked about in, in earlier segments, we basically have pulled forward what was going to happen anyway. It, it was inevitable that San Francisco wouldn't keep up because of the nimbyism and inability to build housing at the rate at which people want it to be in Silicon Valley. That kind of peaked in 2017, 18, 19. And then when it broke, VCs were saying, do not come here because you're going to burn through our money too fast, especially for young companies. Stay where you are. Stay in San Diego. Stay in LA. I'll come to you. You can come to me. You know, We'll figure it out, um, which is... Oh, quite a juxtaposition from when we started in the industry where your term sheet said uh, headquarters must be within 50 miles of Santo Road. P when I tell people that that used to be in term sheets, they laugh. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, th there were rules. If I can't bike to your office, then we're not funding it. Like that was the Santo Road mentality for a little while. Um, so it's absolutely fantastic. Talent can be anywhere. And lowering the cost, you know, now people can live 
somewhere where a one bedroom is $1,000. And now you don't have to blow through your money that fast. And you don't have to be geographically constrained when you hire the fifth sales executive. If that fifth sales executive lives at Lake Tahoe or in Aspen or, you know, for, forget about like Austin and Miami. They live in Nashville. They live in Atlanta. There's a lot of like great cities out there. So the beneficiary is everybody. There's no loser in this. San Francisco and the Bay Area are not a loser in this. It was becoming horrible to live there. Uh, unless you were a VC, and even VCs and CEOs who lived there were starting to lose their minds because they they couldn't find a nanny, and they couldn't find a housekeeper. They they couldn't get into a school. They couldn't get a reservation at night. So sometimes the the pond has too many fish in it, and it just like the ecosystem collapsed. That was what was happening in in the Bay Area, and I'm I'm actually glad it's over. Uh, because now all that anxiety is starting to dissipate. And I mean, you, you could take a look at the example of, say, New York City, which, of course, you're familiar with, which is that, yeah, yeah sure, you have very, very rich people living in Manhattan, but the nannies, the fire, the firemen, all these people can live in Brooklyn, they can live in Queens, they can live in the Bronx, right? Yeah. And those places are all affordable enough that it can all work. And San Francisco and the Bay Area sort of grew through that phase so quickly yep. that it just became economically impossible. All right, Jason, when we come back, we're going to talk about the big theme of Series 10, which is world changing. We'll be back this week in Startups Australia in just a moment. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, including Australia, where startups brought in a record $4.2 billion in investments. Our crowd identifies those companies with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and more, our crowd identifies innovators so that you can invest where growth potential is greatest, early. Our crowd is the fastest-growing venture capital investment community. Sophisticated investors have already invested over $2 billion in growing tech companies. And our crowd has skin in the game. They invest in their portfolio companies and use their extensive networks to help those startups succeed. As a sophisticated investor, you can truly diversify your portfolio with early investments in innovative private market companies at Our Crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash Twista. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. And we're back with Jason Calicanis in a very wide-ranging interview about how much the world has changed and where it's changing now. Jason, I've really established a theme for Series 10 this year. I'm calling it world changing because we're going to see more change 
through the years to 2030, that next nine years, than in the previous 40 years. We are already seeing old industries withering and new ones growing up. Australia in particular is stepping up. We have some of the finest minds working in the forefront of this transition in ag tech, in mining, in renewable energy, in recyclables, in AI, in biotech, in quantum computing. You get to see almost everything. So what world-changing startups have you seen? Or the kind where then when they go from zero to one, they change the world for the better? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of technology that was funded uh, and we started to see 10 years ago that are going to emerge for consumers in the coming years. Self-driving is one. <laughs> it's been six months away for, I don't know, 15 years. It's been two years away for 30 years. Well, we're starting to see Cruise uh, just started a, a small pilot in the city in San Francisco. So I think that's all starting to happen. The one that I'm super excited about is VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Um, I think you'll start to see that they're already running um, little sorties, uh, you know, in China and um, uh, in, and in the Joby Bay Area. Aviation is like Joby's. my favoriteest company ever, right? There are 20 of them. And yeah. I think those are going to land, so to speak, before self-driving. And they're going to be so wonderful in a city um, by a bay because you can fly over the water and they won't fall on people's heads and they'll land in the water gracefully. Those things could change cities forever. And I, I think it's going to be wonderful that we actually see them in our lifetimes. Obviously, mRNA and what we saw happen with the pandemic, that was another, you know, fast forward to the future. Hey, we've got a crisis. Let's give it a shot. And then we're going to see um, I think a lot of synthetic biology uh, and a lot of compounds in this sort of alternative foods that are made synthetically actually start to taste good. So if you've been following the Impossible Burger or you ever ate a garden burger, you know, you went from sawdust and spitting it out <laughs> and then to, okay, I got it down to, I that was good. This, and I think, this from the man who made me eat a cricket tortilla live on stage at lunch, <laughs> and I can still taste it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I think we're going to, you know, the, the, you know, Beyond Meat and an Impossible Burger and all this stuff. There are people who are actually enjoying eating these things, and they're healthier. Uh, and so we are on the cusp, I think. Uh, we're already there with McDonald's and Burger King and some of those places having these products and offering them as alternatives in tacos as well. And the the piece I'm looking for, I know this is a little futuristic, is I don't want something that tastes as good. I want something that tastes better. Absolutely. And that's going to be the thing that's going to F with people's minds. When you go into a steakhouse and they say, oh, sir, here's your Australian, you know, tomahawk and here's your New York strip and here's your Wagyu from Japan. And by the way, here is this synthetic thing that tastes like nothing you've had before. It's like having a New York strip in terms of how chewy it is, but the fat content of Wagyu, and by the way, it's going to lower your cholesterol. And you're like, great. And they're like, yeah, it costs half as much. That's coming. Or a sushi bar where, you know, they're like, hey, you like Toro, you like Otoro. Here's another piece that's kind of like salmon combined with it, with these other, you know, notes. And we're going to be sitting there in a sushi bar and they're going to be 3D printing a piece in a machine behind the sushi chef who then is going to take that piece and put rice on it. And people's minds are going to go 
boom. Like, whoa. And we had uh, George Pepew from Vow Foods on the show last series talking because he's doing synthetic biology. So, you know, basically brewing up these new kinds of meats. And, and the thing he says is, Mark, we can sample anything in the animal kingdom because we don't have to kill the animal. We're just getting a biopsy. So people will be eating things that they can't eat either because they're rare or because they've been culturally sanctioned, such as whale meat. Right, like you will not eat whale because it is bad, right? But if you're synthetically growing it, that changes all of the calculus around us. And we have a completely different one. All right, the big thing that's sort of hanging over everyone, of course, is that this is the decade when we have to get the climate sorted, at least on the path to that, right? I feel better than ever. I mean, and you are what, you're the first person I know to have bought a Tesla. I literally have number one, (laughs) number 16 and number one. I have 16 of the Roadster and I have number one of the Model S. So I'm the 16th person to have it. I guess in the United States. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So we, we we you're not even bleeding edge at that point. You're like, hi, I've got a beta, right? That's basically it. Was it. pretty beta ish. Yeah, I would agree. What can we expect to see in world changing around sustainability? What do you reckon? It's going to be nothing short of a miracle. Uh, we are seeing it now because energy is a very political issue, as as we've all seen here. Um, the Germans, God love them. I love many friends who are German, made the stupidest decision you could ever make to turn off nuclear uh, for some fear because of Fukushima, which was a different type of reactor, et cetera. Um, And then they created this dependency on a dictatorship. And this is another amazing thing that came out of COVID was we looked at the supply chain and we said to ourselves, wow, we mastered the supply chain and forgot to bring a spare tire. We forgot to bring a life raft. We forgot to have a backup battery. Shame on us. We are too dependent on authoritarian countries that pretend that they can play in the global market as participants, when in fact, they were kind of hacking the market. Uh, And I'm of course referring to Russia and China primarily. We cannot be dependent on any authoritarian countries for anything that's essential, chips, drugs, pharmaceuticals, or energy. So this great awakening, I call it the race to resiliency, um, is upon us. And I think what happened in uh, Ukraine uh, is now cemented in people's minds because it's so acute. We must be energy independent and uh, we have to be not only energy independent because of the environment, we have to do it also for human rights and for di- to get rid of these dictatorships. They're funding, they're funding their authoritarian countries based on the free countries giving them money. And one of the great things to come out of, uh, and you know, it's, it's hard to find silver linings when a war is going on, is the great awakening of the EU to uh, we don't want to frack here, so we're just going to take the fracking from a country over there. That's an authoritarian. It's it's a stupid mistake on the chessboard. They could have fracked where they were or just create more nuclear. We could stop the entire Meshugana if every country in Europe and the United States just said, these new nuclear reactors are safe and there are smaller ones. There are ones that fit into trucks. We are going to do a Manhattan project to just be energy independent. And if each of the countries in Europe just signed an agreement that they're going to fund 10 new nuclear power, 10 nuclear reactors each, all of a sudden, Russia would be really scared. And we need to do the same thing when it comes to pharmaceuticals, et cetera. And then this year, uh, in the last year, the cost of building a solar farm 
uh, crossed over to being lower than the cost of building a coal factory, et cetera. And then, of course, you have batteries. And uh, our friend Elon made a wonderful observation. Nobody wants to live around a nuclear reactor. So why don't we put solar farms around the nuclear reactor? And then we could put some batteries there, which he did in Australia quite successfully, I think. Um, all of this is not a matter of how or can we anymore. It's strictly a matter of will. And now the will is upon us. It's very simple. We put solar, we do wind, we do new nuclear, and we will actually go to a renaissance of energy independence where energy will start plummeting in price and carbon sequestration is upon us as well. And so, you know, there's so much progress being made in that area that we're going to have at the same time in the next two decades, carbon sequestration surge in the technology. Somebody's going to figure it out. Like there's giant fans sucking in the, you know, carbon. People are using um, kelp beds and then letting them grow out in the ocean, then sinking in the bottom of the ocean where the carbon will live at the bottom of the ocean where it's fine for it to live. So many different ways to do this. At the same time, we stop burning oil. And so it, I, I feel so good about it now that I've been getting educated and meeting with these companies because we started a climate syndicate, the syndicate.com slash climate. And we're going to make our first investment. And there's just so many opportunities uh, in this space to measure, to manage, and, and then for us to actually solve this problem and uh, save the planet. It's within our grasp. All right. Last question. This is Series 10. We've been at this for nine years. You've been at this, of course, for longer. But what do you reckon over that period of time, if we could sum it up in like a minute, what have we learned? The thing I am still in awe with is the relentless uh, impact that individuals can make. Uh, we start to look at complex problems and think unsolvable, insurmountable, and then when you do this job, you know, we were both journalists and, and commenters, and now I'm in a capital allocator. We've both been founders. When I look at what the problem solvers of the world, what their contribution is, it, it's in such stark, you know, comparison to people complaining. Capital allocators, creators, founders, artists, and scientists, this cohort of people, and I, I, and I include the artists in here in equal measure, the capital allocators in equal measure, the scientists in equal measure, the people who wake up every day and say, I'm not going to complain about what's happening. I'm going to create. And I've just watched so many people who say, I love this particular vertical, this particular problem, this particular moment to solve this problem or to create this joy in the world. Execute and actually succeed, uh, that I, I feel a great sense of optimism. And that is in stark comparison to what you would feel watching the news or being on social media. If you want to change how you feel about the world, change who you're hanging out with and become one of the creators. Capital allocation, finding the money to back the artists, scientists, and founders or being a founder, a scientist, or a creator. Creators includes all creators. Uh, the act of creation here in a podcast, artist, comedian who makes people laugh. These are the things that make humanity so special and life is so precious uh, that 
we, we have this amazing moment because of the global economy to eradicate so many problems, create so much joy. And then the only thing I truly worry about, you know, if I'm being honest and is a kind of a safe space for us is the absolute, uh, depressing statistic that the people living under authoritarian regimes is actually growing. And the people living in democracies, which peaked around 54, 55%, is kind of ticking down. Now, this is not because more countries are becoming authoritarian. It's that the free countries are having less babies. But we need to once and all for humanity, you know, and I don't want to say topple dictators, but show a better path. Show a better path. Uh, and we cannot pour money into dictatorships. We must be independent of them and we must lead them to a, to a better operating system, which is democracy and the respect of the individual uh, to be free in this world, right? That, that's the moment that we can capture for our generation uh, is, is ending this uh, and, and really showing the better way. Jason, this has been an amazing, mind-blowing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks for hosting it, yeah. I mean, it really is so special to me to have you in my life, Mark, and to and to see you uh, carrying the banner of This Week in Startups in Australia. Uh, and, I, and to the people of Australia, I've missed you. I can't wait. I'm going to come next year. We're going to do something, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> so I can't wait. If you have speaking gigs, anybody who wants to host a conference, you know how to get me, Jason at Calacanis.com. DMs are open. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question, or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real actions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing, real human insight. Pretty much every startup entrepreneur has one element that they share in common with all other entrepreneurs. It's a kind of boundless optimism. It's the belief that they will succeed. And Jason talks about that as part of what we've learned, that foundational learning over the last 10 series on this show, that we've actually taken a look at a lot of entrepreneurs, some of whom have succeeded wildly, some of whom have been modest successes, some of whom have failed. But all of them share that unbounded optimism that they will be able to make it work. 
And that optimism is something that we are going to need in this next decade because this decade is throwing up challenges at a furious rate. And the last thing that we want to do is to feel overwhelmed by the scope or the scale or the number of those challenges. You know, entrepreneurs can often have a lot of challenges on their plate, but they will pick the ones that they need to fix and they'll try not to worry about any of them. Because as we know, worrying doesn't really do anything except burn you out. Instead, what you need to do is to be as rational, as unemotional as you can, and basically just take the problems as they come or as you choose to prioritize them. And that's really part of the story that we will be telling over the span of Series 10 as we take a look at these world-changing startups, these startups that are doing amazing things in agriculture, in mining, in biology, in medicine, as they're starting to change this world and solving enormous problems and trying to build basically brand new markets, none of which is easy, none of which is straightforward, none of which you can read a book about. You have to do it all yourself. It seems like an enormous burden, and yet these entrepreneurs actually do bear that optimism with them that keeps them going, that keeps them at it, that keeps them renewing themselves and their goals and their startups. And it's that renewal that we're going to need in this decade more than anything else. And that's one reason why the stories we'll be telling in Series 10 will focus on that element of optimism, that element of renewal, because that's something we all have. It isn't just inside startup entrepreneurs. Startup entrepreneurs have learned how to amplify that, to draw that out. But we all have it, and in this decade, we're all going to need it. We'll be back in a moment. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service and relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit Zendesk.com slash Twista. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Our Crowd, User Testing, and Zendesk. More big thanks to Jason Calacanis for making time to come onto our show. This show is written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything, all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. 
Next week, we'll catch up with an early Twista guest. Since his appearance on this show seven years ago, he's grown his startup into one of the largest businesses in Australia. That's coming up next week. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.